Hi everyone and welcome back to Docs Talk Story where we share the journeys, accomplishments, typical day and advice of doctors practicing here in Hawaii. We hope that Docs Talk Story can inspire and encourage you guys as well as help you guys learn more about the wide range of specialties the medical field has to offer. My name is Riley and today I'll be co-hosting a special episode along with Enze. Our special guests today are Dr. Andrew Oishi and Dr. Lori Tam. They both are Jabsum graduates of the class of 1990 and went on to residency at the Mayo Clinic, Dr. Oishi in general surgery and Dr. Tam in internal medicine. In addition to their medical training's pathways, we hope to dive more into some of the other worries we might have as medical students as it pertains to relationships and family and how to balance and be present in these areas in addition to medicine. Thank you, Dr. Oishi and Dr. Tam for joining us today. Thank you, Enzi and Riley. We uh, are happy to be here and thank you for inviting us. Yeah, guys, I'm so excited for this episode. I think it'll be a really, a really fun one that we can dive into some topics that we might not necessarily get to go too far into in our other episodes. Um, so just to start off, we'll talk first about your guys' you know, medical journeys. Um, so can you each share with us briefly when and why you decided to go into your respective specialties? Well, when I started medical school, I was planning to go into internal medicine. But after my third year of general, um, when I did my general surgery rotation, I just fell in love with surgery. I, I fell in love with the surgical approach to solving problems, uh, the need for really good judgment, the need to be decisive. Uh, and I also like the, the really important part of, of how surgery can impact someone's life. Um, and that was really exciting for me. It was uh, in a way life-changing. Um, so I got really excited and it was after my third year of, resident, of uh, medical school that I decided to go into general surgery. Well, for me, when I applied to medical school, I really had only been exposed to the specialty of pediatrics because really the only doctor I knew was my own pediatrician. So I, I had written my entire personal statement about why I wanted to grow up to be a pediatrician. But by day five of third year pediatrics rotation, I realized, nope, I <laughs> cannot see myself as a pediatrician. So then I went through every rotation asking myself, can I see myself doing this? Mm -hmm. And that's how I eliminated um, the surgical fields like OB-GYN and surgery. Um, and I really fell in love with internal medicine. I loved the patients. I loved the problems they face. But what really turned me on was I had an attending, a teacher, a mentor, who was so passionate about internal medicine. It's, that's Dr. S.Y. Tan, who you probably don't know now because he's retired. But he made everything in internal medicine exciting. He's an endocrinologist, but even non-endocrinology topics were so exciting. So that's how I chose internal medicine. Actually, that's really uh, important I, that I forgot to include. There were mentors in third year. Um, for me, it was uh, Dr. Charles Judd uh, and Dr. Thomas Whalen, uh, who were really just outstanding clinicians, outstanding surgeons. and were good role models. That was also important. Mm -hmm. It seems like that's a pretty common um, like topic. I think a lot of people that have come and shared their journey say that it's really the mentors that they, they had that um, kind of shaped their decision and where they ended up going. Um, Dr. Tam, I'm just curious. I feel like um, the experience of wanting to be a pediatrician and then figuring out that maybe it's not for you is like kind of a common experience or like I've heard people kind of share that experience before. Can you go a little bit more into like kind of what that experience is like and maybe why um, you change your mind? Well, for me, I realized by day five that I wanted to work with patients who 
I could have a dialogue with, mm. we could converse. And I started peds in, inpatient at Kapiolani, and I just had a lot of babies. And unfortunately, when babies are sick or they're tired or they're hungry or basically all the time, they're crying. Um, <laughs> and I wasn't a mom yet, so I just w couldn't handle the crying babies. And I wasn't a mom yet, so I couldn't relate to the parents who were really, you know, worried about their kids. Um, so yeah, it was good in that it forced me to look at every specialty with new eyes mm -hmm. because I knew I had to find something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so did you guys consider any other specialties along the way, or maybe did you guys ever consider subspecializing after you went into your respective um, residencies? As uh, a general surgeon, I was uh, I spent six years doing the training, and so at that time I was ready to I felt ready to come back and come to Hawaii mm -hmm. and uh, start practice. But there were certainly a lot of fields that had a lot of interest in me. Oncology, surgery uh, was really um, interesting. And at that time, uh, way back, that was now 25 years ago, it wasn't as necessary for general surgeons to specialize. Um, we still had a, a little bit of an opportunity to specialize in the field you wanted to, even just after general surgery um, residency. So that was probably the most... Um, uh, the but reason. you actually did do some subspecialty-like training that was, that's now a fellowship, but back then it was not yeah. a fellowship? Back then, minimally invasive surgery was just starting to take off. Oh. So I did my own sort of fellowship training with people who uh, were doing that type of surgery and oh, yeah. were willing to take um, mentees on. And uh, so I did spend about a year um, doing my own sort of fellowship, but not a specific one in minimally invasive surgery. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> on the mainland, right. Mm -hmm. And then for me, as I was ending my three years of internal medicine residency, um, I wasn't specifically looking for a fellowship, but I was um, asked, actually, um, if I wanted to do fellowship at where we were training, which was to my surprise. So I was asked if I wanted to do infectious disease, mm -hmm. which I actually really enjoyed because it's super cerebral. Um, and I was asked to do geriatrics. Um, so I considered those two. And in the end, I actually chose a third. I actually did a fellowship in uh, academic internal medicine. Um, and where I was, you could either sort of pick uh, the education route, like how to be a better teacher, or the clinical research route. So I did my one year in academic internal medicine, learning to be a better teacher. Um, and that was perfect for me. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Oh, that's so cool. I mean, it's it's cool to hear that you guys did so many things, um, you know, after training and, and further specializing and things like that. Um, but I'm going to go back a little bit and just ask, like, when did you guys meet? Like, and how did that happen? <laughs> well, we met uh, as first-year medical students. Uh, at that time, the university wasn't here at this Kaka'ako campus. It was on mm -hmm. at the Manoa campus. And uh, there was a little area where we would have lunch called the Quad. Um, mm -hmm. And... Uh, there was this young um, first-year medical student who uh, would eat sushi on the table all the time, and that was very intriguing, and so that was the first time I met with her. She taught me how to eat kozo sushi and unwrap it and wrap wow. it. Oh. Kozo was new back then, yeah. Yeah, so we were classmates yeah. here at Japsum, okay. and um, actually I had been given advice 
from girlfriends who were ahead of me in medical school on the mainland, and they told me, whatever you do, do not date another medical student. <laughs> and if, I mean, and worse than dating a medical student is a medical student at your medical school, and even worse would be a medical student in your class at your <laughs> medical school. So we did it all wrong, and we, we were classmates, we were friends, and then in second year, middle of second year, we started dating, yeah. Well, did your relationship like affect the specialties that you chose since you guys were, I guess, dating in, in medical school and before you were picking your specialties, right? So did that affect the specialties that you ended up choosing? I don't think it was a conscious decision that we made uh, choices based on what might work together as, as a couple, um, but we maybe unconsciously uh, ruled out certain things that would be difficult for us to do residency training in, mm -hmm. um, possibly. Yeah. Um, so, but it was also, I think we both easily found um, the thing that excited us in, in third year of, of medical mm -hmm. school, so. Um. Yeah, yeah, I think we chose our specialties independently. Actually, I know we did our third year surgery rotation together. Oh, wow. And it was actually really obvious that Andy was excited about it, but me, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So no, we didn't choose uh, together, but actually I think our specialties are very complementary mm -hmm. and work very well together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's kind of interesting. Like, could you maybe expand on, on how those specialties are kind of complementary for you guys? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I think, so I like internal medicine because it covers, you know, all adults, um, basically the entire adulthood age until death. Um, the, of course, I don't do anything invasive. And uh, Andy being a general surgeon and good at uh, procedures, like together, we can do a lot. So, um, for example, when we, we help a lot of family and friends, and between the two of us, whether it's by phone or we make house visits, um, we help a lot of people. Between the two of us, we can cover almost everything except... <laughs> pediatrics <laughs> and ob -GYN. but everything else like if we can't figure it out we know how to help people you know go the right way just because, you know it'd be different if like we were both I don't know like dermatologists which is great but if you have two dermatologists there are a lot of medical things that you cannot cover and the two specialties really approach problem-solving in different ways um, and so it does help us to think in a different way as we come to not just problems in, in our professional life, but problems everywhere yeah. as we try and solve them. Just a different way of thinking. It brings together a freshness um, of approach. and So it's helpful. I'm just curious too, do you think those specialties, and I guess how they complement each other, reflect some of the differences you guys have in personalities um, and how they complement <laughs> each other maybe? Yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I like to, when there's a problem, I like to think through it very uh, logically in an organized manner, and I like to think through it slowly. Some of that is myself. Um, and I, I like to think about every possible you know, option. So that's kind of like differential diagnoses. Like, what could it be? It could be all of these things. This is most likely, this is least likely. I would rule this in this way, rule this out this way. Um, so that's how I think, and it does reflect me and my personality, whereas Andy... <laughs> I think I can give you a, 
kind of a good uh, analogy from the movie Rocky. I don't know if you ever even heard of that movie. I have, Rocky. I have. <laughs> <laughs> but in the very first Rocky one, um, Rocky's future brother-in-law asks him why he's going out with this um, with his now girlfriend, and Rocky says, "I got gaps. She got gaps." When we're together, we don't have so many gaps. <laughs> and I think that's what it is. We have weaknesses. We, we have short sights that we can't see. Mm -hmm. Even in our practice, that can reinforce that. But as you have someone who sees with different eyes, it can help you see a bigger picture. And that helps not just our person. Our, and that comes into in, in our personalities as well, in, in how we manage life and problems, and not just professionally. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think that's awesome that, you know, you have this complimentary person both like in your personal life and also with work um, and all the other domains of your life, too. So that's super cool. Um, and I kind of just want to dive more into, you know, what it was like to have that relationship in medical school and further on into your training. Um, I think um, having someone in the same field is nice because they understand everything that you're going through, right, in terms of like the rigor um, and how hard it can be. Um, so what was it like for you guys going um, through your training in a relationship? Like what was the most challenging parts? Um, what was the most rewarding parts? Just anything you want to share about that? Well, the challenging parts are always uh, organizing your time and, or and managing the stress of, of both medical school and of uh, residency training. And, and really in our day, it was uh, we were before the 80-hour the work limit. Mm -hmm. We were before the every third night on call. So I was on call every other night. Um, and that kind of stress uh, can really weigh on you, especially if you have a spouse that doesn't understand it or, mm -hmm. or wants you to be home or all those things. So to have someone understand and be able to support you through that was, was really uh, helpful. It, was, mm -hmm. um, it brought us closer together. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that really works well together in a medical marriage is for people that you can understand what the other spouse is going through. Yeah, right. I mean, it started off in medical school. I mean, <laughs> you know, we were studying for the equivalent of step one together at the same time. So we both could, you know, understand and tolerate each other studying long hours. Um, and then in residency, it helped for me to understand what Andy's long hours were like. Um, and to appreciate his, I mean, he's been taking call as a doctor for over 30 years, mm -hmm. which is amazing. Mm -hmm. um, but that can be hard for someone who's not in the medical field mm -hmm. to understand what that's yeah. like. And so I can understand, I can appreciate it, I am proud, I can be proud because I yeah. know what, what it's like. I mean, I don't know what it's like because I'm not a surgeon, but I know, I have an idea right, right. of what it's like. Um, so I think that has been really helpful. And the other part uh, is it's really rewarding that we can actually work together in our, um, in our careers. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we don't work in the office together. We don't work in the OR together. But outside, we can work together, like on um, mission trips. We can work together. Um, we can work together, you know, in outreach. So I think it's really cool that we can work together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I want to come back to the mission trips um, later, but, you know, with, with the amount of time that you spend um, in residency with the training, especially since you don't have the 80-hour work weeks and stuff, how did you guys kind of navigate, um, you know, balancing work and then your relationship um, at the same time? Because I would assume that, you know, with so much time getting devoted to medicine and the training, like, 
there might be moments and, and seasons in your life where it's just really hard to see each other and spend time with each other. Right. Um, so we decided that, well, we knew, actually. We didn't have to decide. We knew that we wanted to get married before going off to residency. Wow. So we got married in the same month as match, match oh, day. So wow. um, on match day, we were not married yet. We knew we were getting married. Um, like two weeks later. So uh, it was planned that we would go off to residency together and be married mm -hmm. and go through that together. Mm -hmm. And residency was really hard because as Andy said, we did not have mm -hmm. any work hour restrictions. Mm -hmm. So Andy was on call every second night. I was on call every third night. So thankfully, you know, we matched to the same program so we could see each other at the hospital and we could... <laughs> meet each other in the cafeteria and have like <laughs> true, true. a meal together uh -huh. um and i knew where i could find him so that was good so um that really helped a lot and i think when you're in that kind of situation you just have to be creative mm -hmm. i mean um mm -hmm. we did spend just take 15 minutes to have a meal together and have to break away from certain things or um we would try and plan our off we would have towards, uh, we would have one weekend day a, a month off, I think, and we would often drive up to do something more fun mm -hmm. out of the city. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so we would really intentionally try and plan yeah. time together. And um, When our call schedules intersected. So. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, so you talked about the process of couples matching, and I was wondering if you mm -hmm. could go into a little bit more detail about that and how it's different compared to the normal match. and. And, and, you know, if it's more or less competitive. Okay, yeah. Well, so couples matching started just a few years before we graduated. It started in 1984. Mm -hmm. We graduated in 1990. Um, I don't remember back then if anyone helped us, but we did go through the process. It was still relatively new. Um, I looked actually back then. There were like, the, our year, there were like 300-something couples. And now, and... 2020, 20, uh, yeah, this past year, there's like, there were like a thousand two hundred couples. Mm. Um, so the couples match allows two people, who call themselves a couple, to um, link their match list together, and the match success rate has been equal to or even a tiny bit better than individual mm. match rates, which is really impressive. Um, so I think a couple can successfully match if they know how to do it. There's a lot of strategy, mm -hmm. um, and I actually have helped a lot of Jabsum couples mm -hmm. go through the couples match together since I went, we went through this. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of strategy, and if you do it right, and it re does require compromise, because if you go through the match as an individual, you don't have to compromise. You're putting your mm -hmm. choices down. Um, but as a couple, you have to work together and figure out like how much you're willing to compromise so that you both match at your best, you know, your best couple two programs. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think our situation really is a good example of that because her her last choice uh, for residency was my first choice for residency, mm. and so we we couldn't couples match there. We couldn't put that high on our list. In fact, so what what ended up happening was her second choice for residency and my second choice mm -hmm. for residency. 
um, was the same one. Mm -hmm. So that, in our couples match, moved to the number one. And mm -hmm. thankfully, um, through God's grace, we were able to get that match. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, so. Yeah. That's still a mystery how we got our first choice. <laughs> yes. But we were very thankful. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it can be done. It can be done well. I think uh, strategy is important. But it does take compromise. It takes um, thinking about the other person mm -hmm. uh, right. as, as, as important as your own choice. Right. Um, so I guess yours was more obvious because you guys were about to get married that you were for sure gonna couple mat couples match, um, but maybe for like a couple who isn't gonna get married in, in two weeks after match or like you know they're just you know dating or something like when like how do you know if you should couples match mm. like yes. is it really tough or like near impossible to do residency separately um, in a relationship um, what's like your perspective on that Yeah, I mean you can yeah a couple does not have to couples match. They can just set up their couple, sorry, their match list so that they're in the same geographical mm -hmm. location. Um, but, you know, I know that there are couples, and we personally know some couples who at the end of their, or in their fourth year when it was time to work on their uh, match list, you know, one person told the other, like, okay, do you, if you don't want a couples match, we're breaking up. We need to make a decision. Because you're making a commitment when right. you do the couples match. Right. You're making a commitment that you're going to compromise um, so that you both get your best choice, which may be different mm -hmm. compared to if you had just entered the match by yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there are some uh, people who give their other person a ultimatum. ultimatum. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it matters for priority, right? Priority, is, yes. your, is your relationship a higher priority than yes. your career? Right. And if you can't say yes to that, you're probably not ready to couples match. Yes. I think. Yeah. And also, on the converse side, I actually know some couples who couples matched, and they actually ended up at the same program, and then they broke up. Mm -hmm. Right? So I think if you are going to go to the couples match, you have to be pretty sure that you want to, you know, be a couple. And, uh, but, yeah, kind of have to be sure. Okay, well, thanks for sharing about that. Yeah, I think, um, um, you know, like at least for us as an MS2, we don't really know that much about the match at all. Um, so I think this is definitely going to be helpful for some of the people um, who are listening, at least just in terms of the logistics of some of these things. Um, and so, I mean, I kind of want to go back to what you had mentioned about having um, time to work together through medical missions. Um, and um, I know that's kind of a big in, in terms of your stories and, and kind of your life. And so if you guys wanted to share a little bit about that and... Um, you know, you know what inspires you to go on the missions, and like, you know, what you've learned and experienced through those. Actually, so can I go first? Yes. Okay. So when I applied to medical school, not only did I say I wanted to be a pediatrician, I also said I wanted to be a medical missionary. Um, but what's so interesting is that I didn't go on a mission trip for a long time, and Andy went way before me. Mm -hmm. But that's because we had kids. Yeah, I. I had no inkling of going on medical missions when I wanted to be a doctor. I mean, my thought was work in America, work in, a, work in Hawaii, really, and um, just practice here for the rest of my life. But my love for medical missions really grew out of my Christian faith. Um, in the Bible, Jesus makes this really amazing statement. He says that whenever you feed the hungry or you give drink to the thirsty, that uh, when, you, when you take care of people who are materially poor, he says that you're actually doing it for him. Mm -hmm. uh, and that for me was just an amazing opportunity um, 
And, and God really can reward that kind of um, action um, by making that, that um, by going on mission, just making it a huge blessing. And that really was what I started discovering uh, when I first started going on missions uh, almost 20 years ago. Um, but I think there's another reason um, that I found medical missions really um, fulfilling. It's that I think most people realize that you get to a certain point in your career um, that the pursuit of selfish things just doesn't satisfy you. Mm -hmm. um, that trying to have more money or more time or more pleasure or, or whatever you're trying to get out of your own career, if you keep pursuing that, it just doesn't satisfy. And um, by going out and doing the thing that you were kind of made to do to give away what you have been given um, is really a more enjoyable way. It's a more um, a fascinating way. It's a more exciting way of living your life. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's really been worthwhile. Mm -hmm. But then I also wanted to make the point that not all medical missions um, are involved going to remote countries or things. You guys do a lot of it here as you work in the home project. Mm -hmm. um, so you can do things locally. It's really just a matter of of giving back to the community. Lori has said she wasn't going on medical missions uh, until just recently, but she's actually been doing it locally for a long time. Yeah, yeah, I guess you could call that missions. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing about that. I think, um, you know, for a lot of us as medical students, there's not that much time to go on these, like, medical missions, and I'm wondering, like, when would you think is, like, the best time for, for medical students or residents to go on these medical missions? Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, if you have an opportunity to go as a medical student or a resident, I would say go. Mm -hmm. um, because we have seen uh, students uh, go on trips, whether with us or with other people, you know, like during a vacation or during a break or during a rotation that you can do away. So if you have the time, you should do it. Because if, if you put it off, it's amazing. Like if you put it off, you may not have the opportunity later. So a good time would be like, uh, like as I said, during a break or we've seen medical students do it right after graduation, mm. between graduation and residency, um, or if your residency allows you to do it as a rotation elective, you could do it then. Yeah. It's hard to do it after you finish residency because usually mm -hmm. after you finish residency, like right after, you most graduating residents have like this they feel a need to go right into work, plus they have to study for boards, right? Yeah, I think in regards to the timing, it, there's never a good time. I mean, it's always gonna be something that is gonna be, and you will, if you're someone that goes on missions, people will always come up to you and say, I'm gonna go on a mission when, and then they fill in the blank. When I'm ready. Mm -hmm. And, and that blank time. never gets, never gets mm -hmm. um, filled in. And, really is if you feel um, this desire to go, yeah, you just have to put things aside and make it a priority. And, and, and then you see the joy of it. And, um, but there, there's never really a good time. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you guys ever go on uh, medical missions together? Um, oh, yes. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. So we've gone together to Africa and to Cambodia several times. And I mean, initially, even before I went on my first mission trip, I was helping Andy organize the mission trips because just planning a medical mission trip takes a lot of work 
uh, more work than one would realize, especially if you're going somewhere where you need to bring your own medications, if you need to bring your own equipment, if you have to get your own team together, and you might have to um, fill out a lot of governmental forms and get permission. Um, so it can be a lot of work. But it is more fun to go together than to, mm. for one to stay back. Right. But, but then again, you know, a mission team has people, not just the people who go, but the people who send. Mm -hmm. uh, and all those are equally important. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, you can always be involved in missions, even if you're not the person who goes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing. I think, um, yeah, for, at least for me personally, I think medical missions is definitely something that I'd be interested in doing um, sometime in the future. And... And I, I'm definitely guilty of that. You know, I, I will do this when I'm X. Um, so I'm yeah. guilty of that. But um, I do want to do that at some point. So we'll see now. when that happens. <laughs> we can't wait. You can come with us. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, well, I just want to switch gears a little bit and just talk about kind of, um, you know, when you started a family and then mm. uh, how family played into your career. So why don't we start with kind of, so you mentioned you, you got married, um, you know, a few weeks after the match. Um, yes. How did you guys decide when the right time was to get married? Uh, well, we knew we wanted to get married before we left for residency. So I think just looking at your fourth year, um, the first half of the fourth year is busy because you are applying for residency um, you might be doing a rotation away so a natural time we had a lot of graduate a lot of marriages weddings in the end of our fourth year mm -hmm. because usually at the end of your fourth year you know once you finish your interviews you have like fun electives because mm -hmm. you're not doing sub internships mm -hmm. um, and you're not worried about grades anymore you just have to pass right um, I mean, you still have to do well, but you, you're not worried about honors and things like that. So that's a good time was, you know, the end of your fourth year. For me personally, I knew it was the time to get married when Lori said yes. <laughs> you know, because good, good when we, we first started, I wanted to marry her right away. When wow. we first started dating. Um, second was, year. Yeah, in her second year. <laughs> I asked her to marry me about two months after we had started dating. Whoa. So I knew right away, but I had to wait until she said, okay, time's now. So I guess you know how, you know how um, when it's time to get married is when both of you somehow agree. Yes. Oh my gosh. Wait, so that like whole like when you know, you know, that's like actually a thing. You knew like right away. I knew right away. She actually knew right away too. because she said yes. I said right yes away. with no hesitation. Oh, after two months? After two months of dating. Holy but <laughs> we just didn't uh, like, carry it out. Yes. Well, we knew that my, my parents like would not be ready. Right. In and fact, the first time I brought it up to my parents, the first thing my dad said was, you're not going to drop out of medical school, are you? <laughs> and I said, are you kidding? I worked so hard to get here. I am not dropping out. So I think this way, when we got married at the end of our fourth mm -hmm. year, you know, my parents were sure. I was going to graduate. I was going to do residency. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That is crazy. Um, so I guess moving more into like the family, what did that timeline look like? How did you know when you want to start a family? I've also heard this kind of a similar thing that you guys said about missions. There's never a good time. You just <laughs> do it when you want. Was right. that kind of your experience? And when, how, like, how did you guys decide when to start yeah. a family? Yeah. Well, that I actually thought about and I knew and I 
pretty much told Andy and he agreed. So when we were in residency, there were no work hour rules. And so as we were saying, he was on call every second, I was on call every third. It was not, to me, not a good time to be pregnant mm -hmm. because um, like I, in internal medicine, I mean, when I was on call, um, I could start my call day Sunday morning, right, pre-rounding at like 5 a.m. And I would get home Monday night at 10 p.m. And physically, and, and up that whole time, from Sunday morning, 5 a.m. to Monday night, 10 p.m. Wow. Physically, that was hard just for my one body, my one unpregnant body. <laughs> I yeah. cannot imagine being pregnant right. with that, yeah. you know. Um, so I did not want to start a family until after residency mm -hmm. was done. So actually, I waited till after, uh, till the end. Oh, actually, I, after residency, I did my fellowship and then worked and you know started to pay back student loans because it was also you know if we could I wanted to wait till we didn't have a whole bunch of student loans and where Andy would be like around mm -hmm. present so yeah we waited till um, the end of Andy's residency but you also have to take into account it's not something that you can specifically plan right, right. right? I mean yeah you, there is a window of opportunity for, especially for women, uh, yeah. to get pregnant. Um, sometimes it can happen before you think your plan is. So I guess the answer to that is, you know, when you're, if you are married, is to just be ready for any anything. But it does help to plan to have yeah. a little more time because um, right. kids are so important. They take so much time mm -hmm. right. uh, and effort and energy. Um, yeah. But you really just can't put that into your work once you have kids. Right, and also, I mean, when we were residents, um, like in internal medicine, we didn't, I didn't see any pregnant internal medicine women residents because it was days. hard. But now with work hour rules, you know, women can be, can start a family while they are a resident. And it depends on your residency too and how rigorous it is. You know, it would be more rigorous if you were a woman surgery resident. Yeah, in those days, I mean, you can see now the women of my generation, women surgeons of my generation, many are not married, many are, um, don't have families, because in those days it was much, much harder. In fact, I think for my residency class, no one was married. Uh, mm -hmm. And there was about, there were four or five women uh, in our class of 12. Oh, so the men residents were married, but not the, the women. women. The women residents were not married. Were not married, yeah. Yeah, I think just going off of that, Dr. Ishii, I, I, like I've heard, you know, like, oh, surgery doesn't lend itself as well to, you know, having a family, whether that you're a male or a female. Like, um, do you think that's true? Um, and um, if so, like, how can people that are interested in surgery still kind of have the balance that you were able to find? Well, general surgery is changing. Um, and it's now becoming a more encompassing field where women have a place. Mm -hmm. um, there are subspecialties of general surgery where the demand is not so high. Mm -hmm. um, for instance, there's breast surgery or certain types of oncology surgery. Um, so those things, urology is also open to women. So there's, there's just different ways to plan your life mm -hmm. uh, from that regard. But I think as what most general surgeons know is that if you have a spouse that put ups with you and put ups with your life, that you are a blessed person and that you <laughs> hold on to that <clears throat> because it is an encompassing field. To become competent at this field, it takes um, 
it just takes a commitment that maybe non-surgical specialties uh, don't necessarily require uh, because there's so much on the line uh, in terms of being able to have the skill to do uh, technical things. Mm -hmm. So in order to be a general surgeon and have a family, you need to have a very understanding spouse or you need to be one of those specialties that give you more time. I think compromise is important, mm -hmm. yeah. working, working. But you can't compromise on your career in surgery because yeah. if you, you know, that Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours before you get comp competent, I don't know if those, that number is true, but there is truth to the idea that the more you do something, the more competent you're going to become. And general surgery is one of those things. You need time and hours and you need repetition. Uh, to really get good at it. You need to have exposure to different situations and, and there's just no way around it. You, you can't get it from a book. <clears throat> you can't get it from residency. You have to um, put in the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I think, you know, medical, like I just, starting a family doing medical training kind of sounds intimidating, <laughs> honestly. I think medical training already seems hard. Um, and to add, like you said, like another human being into this picture just um, it sounds pretty terrifying. Um, but I can also see how like rewarding, you know, it is as well. Um, I was just wondering, Dr. Tam, was starting the family, like in terms of timing, like for yourself as a female, was that ever a concern or worry for you? Like as you're going through your training, like did you ever think, it, like it was going to be too late if you didn't get started at a certain time or something like that? Yeah, well, you know, age is important for a woman. So right. thankfully, I wasn't too old. Um, when I graduated from Jabsom, I was 28. So I still had, you know, lots of good years left, <laughs> thankfully. But yeah, for a woman who's older, you know, I, they do have to consider that um, because their time is limited and you can't get that time back. So I do, you, you know, women do have to consider their age, their stage in life, um, what their, if they have a spouse, well, you know, what kind of job their spouse mm -hmm. has, what kind of family support they have, because that's all important in raising a family. Mm -hmm. yeah. So did your work-life balance change after starting a family, after having your first kid? Did things drastically change, or did things kind of just stay the same? Yeah, things did change. So when we started our family with our first child, Andy was just starting his first job as well. Um, mm -hmm. So that was a challenge for you. Maybe you should talk about that first. Well, for me, my hours became even worse. Mm -hmm. I got out of residency, right? You're thinking I'm on this every other night call. I'm going to get my life's going to get better when I get out of residency. But my life got worse. I was covering five hospitals here. Um, I was in the, on ER call. I was. I remember um, for the first five years of my life, I told, I, thinking back, and I never had a uh, holiday off. Never Thanksgiving. Never oh. Christmas. Never New Year's. I had always been called in because um, mm -hmm. I was on call, even when I wasn't relative, er, you know, officially on call. Mm -hmm. They would call you. Um, so Lori had to make the decision of um, what she was going to do with her career. And how she was going to, and so who was going to manage the family. And um, obviously I wouldn't have been able to do that if I had to take care and have full responsibility for our kids and our home life. But Lori had already decided uh, at that point that she really wanted to be a mom. Mm -hmm. And she just, I mean, you could see her with the kids. And she put as much energy into um, 
our kids as she put into her career before that. And so she made a decision to kind of step down from a lot of clinical practice and she went into more teaching. She began supervising residents at Queen Emma Clinic and became um, clerkship director. So she did things that her life could be more balanced um, and, and gave up the clinical side that you really enjoyed yeah. because of a, of a different calling at that time. Actually, you had an earlier question on what was most challenging, and this reminds me of that question, because I remember when our second child was just born, and I got I was working at Queen Emma Clinic, but we still had to take call for Queens. And when I got called in to Queens, and we've got a two-year-old at home, and then we've got a baby in the crib. And a husband who's not really good at that. And I remember of- saying to Andy, okay, I gotta go in, so, if you get called, you cannot leave the kids <laughs> because they're two and like, you know, one month. You can, you got to say, you cannot leave and I will go as fast as I can and, you know, go see this patient. It was very stressful uh-huh. and, you know, it was stressful for me, it was stressful for Andy thinking like, okay, I, I can't get called. So, after a couple of nights of that, I was like, okay, I cannot take call anymore. Because for a general surgeon, it's not just call from new patients, right? You get called uh, from your patients you operate on. I mean, if they're having some critical thing, you have to go in. And, and at that time, I had a lot of patients like that right. who, who you had to go in and see if for chest pain or whatever and not always residents available. Yes. And, um, you couldn't say, I'm home with the baby. Yeah, you couldn't <laughs> say that. So we were always on edge, like, don't anybody get sick during that time. Yeah. Well, so you, so you did mention, you know, that, you know, the, the whole challenging thing. And I just wanted to say, like, is this kind of like if you think about your seasons in life, um, mm. was this kind of the most challenging one in terms of trying to balance or were there other, you know, uh, seasons like prior, let's say like medical school or like residency training or now starting a family or even after, like, which one would be the most challenging season for you guys as a as a relationship, as a as a couple? I don't know if you can say one was more challenging than the other. They all had their specific challenges that you had to overcome. Mm-hmm. Um, and as and you know, as people who try and accomplish things, as you guys as students or even as physicians, you're always trying to you know, use your time wisely. So there's always things you have to do. There's never a time when you're just kind of just sitting back and, and just doing nothing. So there's always a challenge. Um, that, I would say those times were the most stressful, though. Yes, mm-hmm. I think when you were starting your practice and we were starting our family. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah, that would be the most stressful. Yeah, I think just of that timing. Because mm-hmm. if you had been starting your practice and our kids were already in college, we wouldn't have to worry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we'd have other things to worry about. I guess true. so, yes. <laughs> so, so when did you actually have your first kid? Like, was it right after residency or? No, so after residency, then I did my one-year fellowship, uh-huh. and then I worked. I was on staff okay. um, for two years. Mm-hmm. Then we had our first one. Yeah, which was good. It worked out really well. Good timing, <laughs> thankfully. Uh, yeah, so just with all this stuff, it's like kind of crazy because everything is important and everything is good, right? Like your training, your relationship, like your family. It's not like any of these is less important than the other, right? Like they all have value and they're all very important. Um, yes. So I guess just in terms of balancing all these kind of things, I was just wondering if you guys had 
like what your best piece of advice would be um, to balance these things, both in terms of your personal well-being, um, but also your like relationship well-being, like kind of like what what would you tell your prior selves or you know us as students, you know, about to like hopefully head into those kind of seasons of life. I wish I could give you advice. <laughs> I didn't necessarily do things uh, the right way, um, but in our life, things had a way of kind of working themselves out. Um, I, I really think what might have helped, though, is to, is to know that all this struggle, all this stress, um, that while you're going through it, that there is a point at the end that, that it does seem to get worth it, <laughs> that you... Um, you, f you find out that that was valuable experience. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes when you're going through medical school or you're going through residency and things are stressful and you have another stress added on to already a stressful situation, you think that's not worth it. Uh, it's not going to be um, useful or maybe I should just give up. But then looking at it from the back, you can realize how those things really were impactful, how they got you to where you are, um, and that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is hope at the end. And um, so that's probably my biggest thing that I recognize now. Um, but I have no advice to tell you why you're going through it. <laughs> uh, for me, I would say, you know, especially for you as you're starting to think about what specialty or what career to choose is to try everything and really try everything and ask yourself just as I did, like, can I see myself doing this or can I see myself doing this? Because if you don't kind of try it, um, which includes like signing up for all the interest groups, um, sometimes you don't know what's out there unless you try it. Mm -hmm. And I would also recommend that you pick a specialty or career based on um, do you like those kinds of patients? Do you like their, the kind of problems you would take care of? And not base it so much on your personal lifestyle mm -hmm. um, or ours because you need to pick a specialty and a career that's going to last your whole, hopefully, lifetime. Um, and if it's something that you love, um, you can find a way to have it fit with your life. You know, you want to always be intellectually, um, to me, intellectually challenged by something. Emotionally, uh, it'll give you emotional satisfaction. You don't want to be bored. Yeah. So I would say try everything with an open mind. Mm -hmm. And enjoy the, enjoy the process, because it, it really is fun um, when you get to the other side and, you rec and you've been through it. Yeah, right. <clears throat> yeah, I think that's good advice for us, even going to third year, you know, just going into everything with an open mind, um, not closing your doors prematurely, but just going in and, you know, being a sponge and just learning as much as um, we can <laughs> in each situation. Um, okay. So I guess just the, Finish off. Do you guys have any last pieces of advice that you'd like to share? Any just in general, not related to specifically to relationships or family, but just in general. Yeah. I think medical school was one of the most fun times uh, in our medical training. Um, just being able to see everything, being able to rotate through all kinds of different specialties. Um, and you might not always think about that as you're going through it, so I would just maybe the advice is just to focus on that, that you really have an opportunity to see things that you might not ever see again, and just enjoy that. Yeah, and for me, I would say, um, like it's a real privilege to be 
in the medical field and to be a doctor, you'll all be doctors some days because you get to know people, your patients in ways that other people will never have that privilege of getting to know a patient. Um, you know, sometimes very intimate things, not uh, things that they won't share with anyone else, that mm -hmm. they will trust you with that. So that is like such an honor, such a privilege that we have this opportunity to get to know people like that and really help them um, when they are in need. So I think it's really cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the last thing, can I add one more yeah. thing? That is also like, um, you can be proud that you are at JAPSA because when you, yes. if you do your residency on the mainland or if you interview for residency on the mainland, you will see that your education, you are as competitive as anyone on the mainland. So you can be a proud grad, JAPSA student and JAPSA grad. I second that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us today. I think this was so much fun for us. Yeah. I mean, we really did learn a lot. And yeah, just thank you so much for your time and your experience and just sharing your stories with us. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for having us. Well, that's all we have for you folks. Thanks so much for tuning in to Doc's Talk Story, and we hope you were encouraged by our conversations today. I really thought it was just so much fun to talk with Dr. Oishi and Dr. Tam, and uh, doing this co-hosting episode was just a lot of fun. Join us next time on Doc's Talk Story as we continue to journey through the stories of different specialists. And don't forget to head on over to our website to give us your feedback and input on who you'd like to hear from next. And remember to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice.